Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everyone, welcome back to Harvest in Nature's Wild Fishing Game podcast. Uh, you got your host here, Justin Townsend, uh, and some members from the Harvest in Nature crew, as long as as long along with a special guest who we're going to introduce momentarily. But first, we're going to give you some updates of kind of the happenings that are going on in our little microcosm of the world. And uh, so. I will say that I'm pretty excited. So I've, I've started the countdown clock on the opener of my fall hunting season. So I was I'm supposed to be out actually this weekend coming up. Uh, it's still kind of TBD for a little archery hunt up in central Florida for me. But we'll see. Hopefully that gets the thumbs up and I get to go. But if not, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be whisk away to Texas and then up to Wyoming uh, to spend about three, four weeks up in uh, the prairies and mountains doing some hunting so uh looking for some cool stories while i'm out and about uh also a little bit of alligator adventures in there uh thrown in there too so in the fall you'll be hearing some of our catch-up stories and stuff of that nature um any any updates uh from you colin or Corey? hey everybody this is colin uh goose season started here last weekend um and i went out with three equally amateur waterfowl hunters and uh, had a flock. Well, actually, I think I'm going to discuss this on my uh, Adventures for Food session, so I'm not going to spoil it. But uh, needless to say, last weekend wasn't successful. Hopefully this weekend will be. Um, but either way, I get a good story out of it. Uh, that's really it. That kind of kicked off the hunting season for us. Corey, what you got going on up there in the Great White North? <laughs> so our, uh, our squirrel season opened up. So typically it opens up in October. But uh, it opened up in September this year. And so I took my three-year-old out, strapped him to my back in a hiking backpack. And uh, in the hour that we went out in the morning, because that's all he wanted to do, we managed to get a couple squirrels. <laughs> so that was that was exciting. He was nice. he did good in the backpack. He, he stayed quiet. And, and uh, I had the 
Allen Company electronic earmuffs on him, so he you know didn't get scared by the shot or anything like that. Didn't hurt his ears and managed to get my first ever fox fox squirrel. I was gonna ask you how he handles the how he's handled the yeah, gunshot. He, he seemed that's good. He seemed fine. Yeah. yeah, he 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 was excited that we got him. You know, had him holding you know holding on to the squirrel. So he he seemed to have a good time. But about an hour, he was he was ready to go home, and I didn't want to push it. So we headed back to the truck. So big question is, uh, what what did you make when you I, got home? I have I have not squirrel made anything yet um i uh i think i know you're intrigued by that squirrel birder right (laughs) well since since uh my kids love i make a chipotle barbecue squirrel dip and my kids love it and that's what they asked uh for me to make with this stuff so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna do that for them but uh i did i did flesh out the hide and i'm trying to tan the hide of the fox squirrel because it's nice big bushy bushy tail so we'll see how that comes out. I'm in the process. Hmm. What are you going to do with adapter? I don't know. Probably just hanging up in the boys' room. That's cool. I was thinking uh, like a squirrel skin vest, but obviously squirrels are too small. So <laughs> it would take a collection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be pretty cool, though. It'd be like a patchwork of different color squirrels. You get one of those black colored phase squirrels in there, too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we we saw and I took my daughter out. Uh, what was that Monday? So it would have been like the second day, and we weren't out very long. She was ready to, to call it quits pretty quickly. Um, I missed a black squirrel, but I got a gray squirrel. So, so we got them running around. So I, uh, I was I was gonna go out. Uh, we were gonna go out fishing Saturday, and then that whole tropical storm hit. And uh, I don't know how much rain you guys got up there, Lauren, but we we got a good amount. Yeah, same. Uh, we got like we got ten inches here uh, in the course of eight hours, which is insane. Um, oh my God. The whole street was flooded. There's like, I think I was talking to somebody. They said the dealership here, which is also like one of the one of the few auto mechanic shops, they went to go drop their car off because their car got flooded, and there was like. 50 other cars there that were also being that had gotten towed in that morning because oh uh, people's cars just got submerged. So it was pretty crazy, but we, we made the decision early, early in the morning at like 6am. We all woke up and we're like kind of chatting via text and we're like, no, we're not, we're not going to go out. So uh, I'm in retrospect, I'm really glad that we didn't cause there were some like pop-up storms and stuff out on the, on the Gulf side that we probably would have got caught up in, which wouldn't have been good. But let's see, let's talk some other stuff. So um, working on some new recipes. So the other day I, uh, I took a, a whole um, front wild hog shoulder and I was testing out a, a mop sauce recipe that I've been working on, uh, kind of trying to perfect a little like Texas style barbecue. I know traditionally they're going to use like... Um, they're going to use like beef and stuff for that, but I think it's a it's an equivalent mop sauce that could be transferred across all wild game. Uh, and I, I did some special things because when you're smoking wild game for a long period of time, you have to take into consideration the fact that it's a leaner meat, so it dries out quicker. 
So uh, I did add a little bit of lard into that and do some other special stuff. But um, I, I smoked it like 12 hours, which was really great. And as a result, I uh, was super excited uh, to have it. I've been eating like pulled pork tacos for, for like four days now. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's well, well worth the self-sacrifice of having to eat tacos. But um, <laughs> um, look for that recipe coming out here pretty soon. Uh, we got a great lineup of articles and recipes coming out this week and following week. We're getting pretty much on a, a solid rotation uh, where everybody's committing articles um, on a consistent basis, so you'll start seeing uh, kind of a schedule going through, which is which is really nice to see um, on the website. But uh, also want to talk about last week we closed out our our uh, wild fishing game virtual cook off, and so we're gonna decided that we're gonna host one of these in the spring again. And I want to say congratulations to Jason Jones. Already announced on social media the day of, but give him another shout out. His uh, he had a venison scotch egg recipe that pretty much like knocked out anything that it that it came in contact with. So uh, we sent some prizes out to uh, to Jason to include a meat slicer, a championship mug, which uh, is one of a kind, and. Um, signed copy of eat wild game the cookbook and some other cool swag so lots of cool stuff going on and then um coming up next sunday uh we will release our second episode of the adventures for food podcast and those that haven't tuned in uh scroll back in your podcast history back to the 13th of september and listen to sean west's wild turkey uh not the liquor actual uh, turkey that is wild um he's up in british columbia him and a buddy uh traipsing through the mountains up there in in search of some merriam turkey and it's a it's a good story so our intention with that podcast is it's super concise so you're looking like five to 15 minutes so something you know doing the dishes or cooking macaroni and cheese or you know whatever you do for five to ten minutes you can equally fit that in that amount of time so um it's, it's a good time for that Perfect for a drive to work. Yeah, I think so. I take, you know, for me, um, I do like, there's a couple podcasts I do listen to and they're like hour, two hours long. So it literally, it'll take me all week to like finish one episode of a podcast. So I can't get too overcommitted. But (laughs) if you look at the scope of this podcast paired with the other, which comes out every two weeks, um, you, you got plenty of time to listen to both. So it's it's a good it's a good time planning tool. Um, let's see, Colin, Corey, you guys got anything else? Nothing for me. I'm good. Oh, one thing I did want to say. So we're coming out with some new merchandise and new shirts and stuff on uh, on the website, and uh, I'm going to offer up the code podcast p o d c a s t and the number two zero. So podcast two zero that'll get you twenty percent off on uh, on merchandise out of the Harvest in Nature store. So just go to the website harvestnature.com slash store s t o r e. Check that out. Great stuff on there. Um, all right, now I guess uh, let's do some chatting about some spearfishing and meet Lauren. 
So as you've already heard me mention her name several times, and uh, uh, I will uh, introduce you all to Lauren. Here's Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so uh, Lauren, I guess I guess if you give us a rundown uh, where you're from, what part of the country you live in, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of alluded to why you're on the podcast because because we do here uh we have a mixture of some spiros spear fishermen spear fishing women on mm-hmm. on our our crew so we do include the the spear fishing community as part of our of course fishing obviously but the hunting as well because i find right. it more to be hunting so we yeah. we include them as part of the pack and like to make sure that we're properly representing that part of the culture the Perfect. outdoor culture so um with, with that said, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us more. All right. So I'm Lauren Sarasua. I grew up on an island here in Miami called Key Biscayne. So I've always been around the water. But I, even if, though I grew up on the water, I never got into spearfishing or hunting or fishing in general, oddly enough. But um, a few years ago... I decided that I wanted to take a scuba course and get more into the water environment. And then I saw a free diver while I was doing that. And then I was just hooked. I, I was like, I want to do that. That looks amazing. Uh, like I, that is my next goal. So I went home, immediately started researching. And then through my research in free diving, I came across spearfishing. And that just opened up a whole nother world of sustainability and, you know, just being self-reliant. And so that's how I got into spearfishing. So um, just for the listeners out there, can can you give us a quick difference between free diving, scuba and spearfishing? Um, just uh, yeah, a varied audience. So scuba diving, you are diving with um with air so you have a tank on your back and a bunch of equipment and you're breathing underwater through the use of a tank with free diving you're diving but you're only using your own body as a resource so you are taking one breath diving down hunting shooting a fish and coming up that way you can also hunt um on scuba it is legal here but i don't know <laughs> you you won't find me doing it let's say that it's a it, it's definitely different and uh i i've seen people out doing it um yeah. scuba and, I, and i'll say to each their own let people do what they want to do whatever makes yeah. them happy but sure. I, i'm in the i'm in the same boat with you like it 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 seems more organic uh to kind of have to overcome that that ability to to withstand short breaths i guess underwater so right yeah so there's the sport of scuba the sport of free diving and then there's scuba spearfishing and free dive spearfishing so you know I do respect the people that do scuba spearfishing commercially. I think that, you know, if you're, you're making a living, then you, you got to do what you got to do. 
But for me, I prefer recreationally just to free dive spearfish, do it the way that our ancestors did it and really connect with nature in that way and provide for yourself. Sweet. And um, I was going to say one big um, scuba spearfishing activity that I think pretty much everybody gets behind is is the uh, pursuit of lionfish. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, I yeah. think that's, uh, for, for those that don't know, lionfish is a terribly invasive species um, in most of the southern mm-hmm. part of the United States and uh, the majority of the Caribbean. It's, uh, I believe, Colin's probably going to correct me, but Indonesia-ish? Uh, I think it's like Red Sea, like near to the Red Sea, Arabian Peninsula area. Or okay. It might be Indonesia too. It's I mean, just a quick swim for them. Probably. Um, so anyway, they, they've gone into the beautiful tropical waters of the, the Caribbean and, and have taken over and they don't have much of a, a natural predator one because it's unusual for them. And two, because they're pretty venomous. Um, you have to, if, if you're out there harvesting, you either use like a lionfish hotel or you clip the, clip the spines off of them that, that hold the poison. So it's, it takes a little extra TLC, but I think what right now we're, we're in the midst of the, uh, the lionfish like tournament season, I think for the, is it the lionfish rodeo? I think. What are they competing? What what are they competing with or, or out competing? You know, what, what natural species? Every, like everything they're, they're (laughs) eating the eating out eating or the, the, uh, yeah, they just eat everything. They eat yeah, they eat uh, a lot of. I mean, smaller fish and stuff. They're they're not they're not terribly like big. Um, I mean, they vary in size. I think your average one is probably like baseball to softball size. Like the actual size of the fish itself, like the the spines mm-hmm. and everything. Once it's spread out, is like you know you get like a volleyball or a basketball, but. Um, the fish itself is, is not that, not that large, but, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they just eat a ton of stuff. Yeah. Just to give you some context, uh, a lot of people think that the way that lionfish were introduced into our waters is that people thought that they were so beautiful, which they are. So they wanted them in their fish tanks, but once they got them in their fish tanks, they started eating all of their other fish. So it's either you have a lionfish tank with that one lionfish or you, and I mean, basically they were eating everything. So these people would dump them into the water and then they just kept reproducing. And since they didn't have any natural predators, they basically took over. So here's a, here's a quick rundown. So um, they eat more than 70 marine fish and invertebrate species. So including yellowtail snapper, Nassau grouper, parrotfish, banded coral shrimp, and uh, many cleaner species. That mean cleaner not as mean the other fish are dirty, but is there fish that clean the reefs and rocks and sludge off the bottom of the ocean. And uh, so those things, even just looking at like yellowtail snapper, Nassau grouper is a protected species in, in Florida and in, in federal waters, uh, parrotfish are pretty vital to the the reefs down here uh, just because they're a, a huge source. 
banded coral shrimp. That just sounds really cool. I'm probably sure it's, it's pretty important, but it's got a great name. Um, but a lot of people question, like, can you eat lionfish? And, and I think the answer is yes. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have had it before. Um, I've had it a couple times. Uh, it's, it's available commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's super hard to find commercially because usually when somebody hears a fisherman has it, they go buy up the, they go buy it up pretty quickly. The first place I had it was down in Bonaire in the Dutch Caribbean, um, which is an island in like the very southern part of the Caribbean, kind of by Venezuela. And they have they have an even larger problem with it than than we do here. And um, they like I had it on pizza. It was great. It was like lionfish <laughs> pesto pizza. pizza. Yeah, on pizza. Here we have it as sashimi. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's ceviche. We have it so many different ways. It's amazing. There's there's a place here in uh in what is it? It's a marathon in the in the kind of the middle keys. They do sushi mm-hmm. with it too, and you get it, and they have like the fried like skeleton of the fish like on top of the sushi roll it's so cool so are there there's actually are are there any issues with like the venom or poison being in the meat when it's not cooked like i know they're in the spot and everything but i've heard some people say like oh i ate the meat and my tongue went numb for a little bit i don't know if they were just like placebo effect when they're thinking about it but is that uh i I don't. I haven't heard of any. Um, I know generally once you remove the the spines, and I'm sure there's a more scientific word for it than spines, maybe not. But um, once you remove those, that's I think kind of your introduction yeah. point to the to the uh, the venom. So yeah. But I've come across them. I, I I think I've only come across them. It's funny around Key West, like not as common um until you get kind of out because there's a lot of people moving around and stuff and and all that but i i was trying to spear one one day with my pole spear and he was about that big about the size of like a half dollar and i was like trying to get him i was like i'm doing my part for the environment i'm gonna get you (laughs) uh but i didn't get him and he swam away so i I failed everyone i'm sorry (laughs) same thing happened to me the other day i was trying because so on the spear gun, you have a flopper, like if you're using just, you know, the regular spear with, I mean, there's, there's different kinds of spears, but the regular one is with a flopper. So if you get a line fish on that, it's really hard to take it off of, of your spear. That's why most people use a three prong. Mm-hmm. So I saw this line fish and I just kind of went up to it with my gun and tried to like just stab it without it going through totally so that I won't have to go through the whole ordeal of trying to get it off of my spear. And I just missed miserably. (laughs) I was like, yeah, let's not record that. (laughs) That's funny. I might Um, post it. We'll see. (laughs) You have to now. Everybody knows about it. So they're still hiding it. (laughs) I'll shame myself. It's fine. (laughs) I mean, you tried, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Colin, you you have not had lionfish. No, I was actually one of the first things I looked into when I was moving to Key West a couple of years ago. Uh, was mm-hmm. getting into like the I think it's a program called the Reef Rangers who are big into lionfish mm-hmm. uh, spearing and fishing. Um, and then I also tried to find it, and everywhere I looked, I could never find it. And I'd always hear kind of like you said, 
kind of whispers of uh, they have lionfish here today, um, but then you get there and it'd be like, oh, either they're they're all out or it's just a rumor. It was never true. Um, so yeah, I, never, I think it's the co- the coconut telegraph. It's gone quick. Yeah. Everybody on the island hears about yeah. it. And they're like, all right. Uh, so yeah, I never ended up having it. Uh, it's kind of bummed, but it just gives me more reason to go back down to the keys and try and get another one. You know, I've been following some guys, uh, a group of, they're not younger. Well, I guess they're younger than me, so they're younger. They're like probably early to mid-20s um, up in Pensacola. Okay. Uh, so the the northern part of the Gulf of Mexico on the, the Florida coast, and they they go out and target them there, which is really surprising to me because I didn't, I didn't know the population existed that far north in the Gulf because the, you know, one, I, I think that – the, the spearfishing conditions would be more difficult there, especially with the as you get closer to the mouth of the Mississippi, the water visibility gets a little worse along the coast. But yeah, didn't know they drifted up that far. But interesting to see. And those guys, like you're saying, Lauren, uh, like ceviche and sushi and all that stuff. And I'm like, cool, man. That's good stuff. So <laughs> I think it's I was a, looking up the uh, like some of the tournaments and derbies they have for them a lot of the big ones came out of like the tampa bay area um which isn't as far huh. north as pensacola but still up yeah but still still pretty far north yeah. so lauren when you're out doing your uh your scuba diving training and you saw that free diver i'm sure it, it definitely sparked some curiosity but what like what drives you as a free diver um we touched on it a little bit as sort of like the spearfishing side and sustainability and not playing into the, the modern cycle of seafood in the United States. Cause it, it definitely gets some big question marks sometimes, but um, what, what overall drives you in, in that, in that area? You know, honestly, it's become kind of like a bit of an addiction. It, it's a sort of therapy for me at this point like going out and just being in the ocean. I don't even really have to spear anything or bring any fish home to, to get something out of it. It's really, it's just every time you go, it's a different experience and you see different things and just the tranquility of the ocean. And it's just, it's so much more than just hunting, you know? That's it's what I was gonna ask. Is it like a, a conquest with food? Um, you know, are you out there on a mission to to bring home dinner? Or I mean, not even. I, it, if my, I mean, if I'm having a dinner and I I, I need a menu, <laughs> then then yeah, definitely. <laughs> but if uh, you know, if if it's just me and my boyfriend, I like, and if I have some fish in the freezer, uh, like every time I'm I'm aiming at a fish. There's thoughts going through my head, like, do I really need this fish? What am I going to use it for? What recipe am I going to, you know, it's like this whole thinking process goes on. And sometimes I just think, you know what? No, I don't really need that one. I, I already have some. Let me let that one go. Or I'll think like, oh, that would be great for some sashimi today. And I'll, and then I'll shoot it. But it, it's it's not about conquest or or anything like that. It's more just about feeding myself and just honestly getting out there and, and having a great time on the ocean. 
Perfect. That <laughs> Those are great reasons. Um, <laughs> um what was I gonna say? Uh, I lost my train so of thought. You, you kind of practice oh. a little bit of like self conservation in a way. Like I know a lot of living when I was in the Keys, a lot of people were just like, "Oh, we shoot everything that we are allowed to shoot," and like whatever it's fish in the freezer. We're always gonna have it around, but uh, you definitely you practice some kind of like restraint in a way for conservation in a way that, oh absolutely yeah, yeah it, it's i don't shoot everything that i can eat like i mean unless it's again if i have a dinner coming up and i have people to feed then yeah like yellow tail snappers <laughs> on the menu tonight yeah, guys. Exactly. <laughs> i'm like no, you I, look good you look good you look good. right <laughs> like does that guy look good with lemon and wrapped in tinfoil on the grill? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe yeah, that guy. <laughs> so, but it's good. So do you find yourself eating more seafood since you started spearfishing? Um, or did you, you eat a lot before? Um, I did eat a lot before, but, you know, not as much as I do now. Mm -hmm. Especially because you just can't find... I'm pretty picky with food and I was even beforehand, but it's a freshness thing. Like you just can't go to a supermarket and find fresh fish. You're just not going to, it's true. you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't matter when they got it, it, that, that fish has been dead for way too long and it's just not going to taste the same. And the way that it was harvested isn't the same. They don't do, it's basically a fish suffocating on a boat, like in nets or in a cooler, instead of the way that we do it, which is you shoot the fish and then you bleed it and brain it as soon as possible. You know, I, I, I was reading a, I was reading a post, I think it was yesterday, yesterday <laughs> evening on, on social media and, and they had this tool and it's kind of like, you know, uh, people that spearfish generally carry a knife with them and, you know, there's lots of reasons why we dispatch fish which i want to talk about in just a little bit but mm -hmm. um they had this tool it was like a t-shaped tool kind of like an ice pick but if you put like a, a grip on the end of it kind of look like a syringe and mm -hmm. they people were using that like just out freshwater fishing like you know for bass or catfish or whatever and and the guy was like he brought it up on on one of the fishing groups on facebook and was like hey guys like check out this tool it's really cool and you know and people kind of started pushing back on him and they're like, well, like explain what this thing is. And he's like, well, you know, when you're out fishing, there's a lot of debate. And, uh, I think he provided some links and stuff, which, which we should actually look into a little bit more Corey, um, as to the, the thoughts and the science behind like, like you just said, if, is the fish just sitting in the cooler, like suffocating, and is it like slow, stressful? Because in the hunting world, we talk about like you always kind of want that clean shot. And there's the debate whether if the animal's more stressed, does it have a, an effect on the taste of the meat? Does it make it mm -hmm. tougher? Does it make that? I And people are raising this point to like, hey, in the fishing world, like, is this the same? And uh, so that, this, that was this guy's argument on this post when he was just kind of defending his picture of this little like tea punch i guess you could call it and uh as a you know as a way to to dispatch 
dispatch fish after he caught them before he put them in the cooler. And uh, it it brought around some interesting thoughts in my head. You know, immediately I think about, oh, spearfishing, we do the same thing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't see a guy out on his bass boat who's fishing for bass like, all right, well, I'm going to put this in the cooler and make fried fish later and boom, punch him in the head. So... <laughs> Um, not to, that sounded really not to realize <laughs> that because I, I think it's an important discussion to have about like humanely dispatching fish as we do with all other wild game birds and everything. But if you go to the Pacific Northwest in Alaska and you catch a halibut, then you have a billy club and you just beat the crap out of its head until it stops moving. Uh, so I think there is yeah, it's a healthy mix of humane humane killing and dispatching and uh, not so humane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the ice fishing, you pull that perch out of the out of the hole, and then you just toss it on the ice and keep fishing. Like you just let it flop around on top of ice, and so uh, you got your natural cooler. It's right on the ice. <laughs> Where like you, you think about so for me growing up as a kid, like you'd catch fish or whatever at the pond or the lake or the river, and you would always have a stringer and you'd put them back because the thought was like. You know, you want to keep the fish alive as long as possible until you're like ready to clean and fillet it and all that stuff because that way it's like maximum freshness. But I don't know. Um, I don't well, think I've ever. You know, the way that we do things, it's not only about humanely dispatching a fish, it's also about preserving the meat. Mm-hmm. So, bleeding the fish, basically, if you do it properly, it will make the bloodline so minimal that you'll have that much more meat and it won't have that kind of fishy taste because the blood is is drained i i have i have a story um about that but i'm going to save it for another time because well actually by the time people hear this podcast they'll they will have just read the article on the story that i'm i would tell so I will save it for another day, but um, yeah, it has to do with, with bleeding fish and why we should bleed fish and what to do if you can't bleed fish in the exact moment. And mm-hmm. there's like a, there's a process you can do after that, that helps with it. Um, but also too, I guess while we're talking about it, cause I had, I wrote it down here um, on my notes was, uh, was dispatching fish, like a good way to do it and sort of, you know, we've talked about the humane way and preserving meat way, but also like there's a big debate of like whether flopping fish is more attractant to predators, um, which, which leaves you more vulnerable. And a lot of people, you know, think like, Oh, it's, it's the blood and this is that too, but it's also the vibration and movement of the fish. And I think that's something important to mention as well. Absolutely. And so what's, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, any signs of struggle from a fish are, it's like ringing a dinner bell for sharks and other predators too, like Goliath groupers, barracudas, you know, they'll come after you too. So yeah. it's, it's not just sharks, but, but yeah, the faster that you can get that fish to stop moving, the better for you So <laughs> and for the right. fish. I noticed in a, in a lot of your videos, as soon as you uh, as soon as you kill the fish, you're like draw it close to you, straight up, or like you're pulling it up, 
holding it oh, close yeah. as you get to the boat. Kind of what's what's the 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 method or the thought process behind the method? So if I'm kind of far from a boat, I'll hold it to my chest and I'll just kind of keep looking around for different predators. If you hold it out away from your body, I feel like that's more making it more vulnerable and making yourself more vulnerable and a good way to get your hand taken off. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to keep it close to my body and um, hope for the best basically. (laughs) But um, if a boat is close to me and I call for them and I have this fish bleeding in my hands, then I'll, I'll hold it up out of the water just to try to stop that vibration and, and, just not have, you know, the fish <laughs> right next to me in the water when I know there's a shark there. I think I, I muster, even if there's no sharks around, I muster all my available strength and swim faster than I've ever swam in my life. <laughs> like hand up in the air above the water, like kick, 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 <laughs> trying to get back to the yeah. boat. Yeah, I'm I'm still working through some shark issues that I have, but <laughs> I still go out. But that um, that kicking might not really help. Like if you're yeah, probably if you're not. Hard, they might be like, Ooh, "Oh no, what's you're that running, struggling at the surface?" You're uh, you're ruining my strategy now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. So talking about different species um, that are out and about in, in Florida, we have a ton of different variety of fish, both on the Atlantic and the Gulf side. Uh, what's what's one of your like? What's one of your most preferred? Of the ones that I've shot, I really, I love AP, African Pompano. I think it's such a delicious fish, especially if you, like when you fillet it, you leave it in the refrigerator for a few days, let it age a little bit. The meat kind of tenderizes Hmm. and then you slice that up into some thin sashimi and it's so good. So, so good. And even if you throw it on a grill, oh, it's such a great versatile fish that it's, and it's a beautiful fish to look at too. So hunting it is fun because it's, it's kind of elusive and mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of skittish too. So you really have to be super calm and, and hunting it is just, the hunt is, is just as fun as eating it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, the stories that come with the meal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um so what's sort of the range of your types of fish that you would target when you're out and about? Like what's uh what's your most common that you would go after down to your like least common? Well, most common I guess would be snapper because they're just the most uh, available here. Um I haven't yet shot a Wahoo, but I really, really want to. <laughs> but they're not really around this time of year. Mm-mm. I mean, they y- you can find them, but it's just it's a rare sighting. So now that winter's coming around, I'm very excited to, to get my Wahoo hunting in and and bag myself one. <laughs> we've been uh we've been pretty lucky in the the Mahi game lately. Uh nice. as as the temperatures have warmed up, we've been people have been more frequently there's been some nice nice large bull mahis uh harvested 
by spear around around the the lower keys. So pretty excited to see that. Nice. Do you eat now, their ribs? Uh, I have not. Should I be? Yeah, it's so good. All right, you gotta tell me more. Let's. I, I need to hear more about this mahi rib. So what's the what's the process? Um, and how? I've never processed it, but I had a friend who brought me some. Mm -hmm. and you fry them up, and oh my god, it's so good. You can literally just like bite onto it and just peel the the meat the right meat off on. the bone, and it's so fatty and delicious. You have to try it. Huh. It's so good. Well, I'm going to write that one down because that's going <laughs> to yeah, yeah, mahi ribs. Yeah, a lot of people throw it away, but it's really good. Really, what was really that, Colin? I'm writing that one down too. I don't think I've ever eaten uh, or even thought about eating like fish ribs like I would beef or pork ribs. I think a lot of people eat African pompano ribs too. Hmm. Are they are they larger? Or? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I mean, okay. depending on the... Hopefully you shoot a bigger IP than a mahi. You're like a little guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, cool. That's that's what we call a hot tip right there. <laughs> For oh, sure. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Once you try it, you'll be calling me like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm, really, uh, good. really, really good. That blows my mind. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. What's your what's your take on lobster on on the Florida spiny lobster? Oh my god, I love them. I got bit yeah. by one in a week. Actually, you know what? I saw your uh, I think it was your picture and video of where. So how does one get bit by a lobster? Oh god, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but so I was out spear fishing and I was on a boat that I had never been on before with some people that I I met a few weeks earlier. And when we got off the boat, I remember them saying that they forgot a cooler. So I thought we were all going to like stick together and, you know, just keep putting fish on the stringers. I never expected to be hunting lobster. I, I was really looking for mutton and different snappers. But uh, so I was just swimming around and then I come across a lobster, so I pick it up, 
I go back to the boat to put it on the boat, but I was like, crap, where do I, where do I put this? So I didn't want to just leave it like out in the open so that it could just die and, you know, go bad in, in the summer sun. So I decided, you know what? I heard of people putting them in their wetsuit, so I'll just put it in my shirt. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. So I it's put it in my move. shirt. Yeah, I mean, I put it facing away my body, and then I tied my shirt with a hair tie, like so it would stay there. And I kept swimming, and like the spines were like stabbing me, but I was like, I can do this. It's worth it. We were having a dinner that night, so I needed the lobster, and. Um, so yeah, so I'm swimming along. Uh, I shoot a yellow jack, and then I need to reload my gun. So I move the lobster to the back of my shirt, and then I reload my gun. I shoot another yellow jack, and I feel the lobster like going up my shirt sleeve. And I was like, oh no, this is not good. <laughs> so I reload my gun as fast as I can. I have both of the yellow jacks on my shooting line and just rewrap my gun, load it again. And then I feel like this bite, and I was like, it's biting me. Like, it was so painful. And so I'm pulling it away from my arm in the sleeve, but the sleeve only moves so far, you know, cause it's fabric. And like the fat on my arm isn't like coming out of its mouth. So I was like, I didn't know what to do, so I, I just kind of held on to the lobster as hard as I could and pulled my arm out of the sleeve. And then I had the lobster in the sleeve. It was just stuck in there, so I was like, okay, I think he's stuck there. I just got the crap bitten out of me. I'm just gonna sling my sleeve over my, my shoulder and just keep hunting. So that's what I did. I just kept, I kept hunting, I, then I shot a mutton. And then a huge storm came, so I swam back to the boat, and then I got relieved of my lobster. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So whenever you put the lobster in the pot that yeah. night, was it like, was it a feeling of redemption? You're like, I got you back? It was just like, <laughs> you know, my moment of relief was when I, when I measured it to see if it was legal. So I was like, it's better be legal. <laughs> you just bit oh, the crap man. out of me. I had a scar on my arm. Like, I think it's still there. You can kind of see it, but it was bruised, like, really badly. And I had a little scar that looked like the Wu-Tang logo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um I didn't know you could get bit by anybody. I didn't know anyone could get bit by lobster. So that's. Uh, oh, yeah. They bite hard. Very hard. That's. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, <laughs> man. That sucks. That's like I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the area where people like would pinch each other in elementary and middle school? Or, like kind of like bully people is like the back of your arm. That's like the most sensitive part. That's like. The worst place to get pinched by anything. Yeah, yeah like, like right there. Because <laughs> yeah. there's like all your your muscle resides in like the top, and then you get like the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That lobster knew what he was doing. He was trying to inflict the most amount of pain. 
that's why, that's why I crawled up there. He's like, I'll show her. Yeah. He crawled up, grabbed my arm with his legs, and just. Oh, gosh. That sounds awful. Uh, it was awful. Corey, what would you do? What would you do, Corey, if you were bit by a lobster? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Bite it back, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Corey's probably I mean, a I was, wild solution for it. <laughs> I was just happy that I had moved it to the back of my shirt because if it bit the front. <laughs> oh. oh. I don't think that would be very fun either. No, definitely not. <laughs> Unless you're into like, you know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there's people out there. Their sure. own, I guess. <laughs> Someone's but, um, like, I need to find a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what kind of podcast you got going on over there? <laughs> um, so, talking about, oh, we talked about that actually, about your favorite recipe. Actually, we didn't talk about, we talked about your favorite fish and mahi ribs, but we didn't talk about mm-hmm. your favorite recipe your favorite way to prepare fish i really love cooking fish whole in the oven like just descaling it gutting it and um yeah taking out the yeah just you know gutting it killing it descaling it and then you score it put some oil and lemon and some herbs just throw it into the oven and eat it whole like that it's the best so, so it, it reminds me of a um, of a thought. So whenever I was in Italy, I mean, it must have been like six or seven years ago, and it was the first time that I'd ever seen this done. But they basically like a whole fish, but there's like a traditional way of like breaking down the fish at the table where you like you uh, you remove the top fins, you move the bottom, the you know the side fins, you. Um, you separate the top fillet away from the meat or the bone and then you put it on the plate and then you flip the fish over. Like there's this huge, like it's very much like a show. Um, and, and I tried it once with some trout that we'd caught and it, it was cool. Uh, you still get a few bones, but it's still not as bad. But, um, when I always hear people eating whole fish, are you like, go at it with, with all hands and like eating tacos or what's, what's the way you attack a whole fish? I'm a, I'm a hands-on kind of girl. Perfect. I feel feel like that's the best way to do it. You can really, you can, first of all, you can feel the bones. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, if it's just meat or if if you're going to get stabbed by something. So that's number one. And number two, it's just so much easier to pick off all the meat. And that way you don't waste anything. I, I think too, to support that uh, um, and all the ones I've done whole, you get more meat off of it than you would just filleting it only. Cause there's like little, there's little hidden morsels of meat on fish Definitely. that people skip over. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of head meat and in between the ribs. And yeah, you gotta get all that. You can't waste anything. Nope. Nope. So, um, I do want to talk about, um, your your world record amberjack well it's not technically a world record Te- I, didn't, I didn't submit it but but it well, is it did beat the world record by at least 20 pounds 
Wow. So can can you uh can you paint the picture for us of how that went down? Yeah, my friend is really pissed about it because he he actually dove down to about ninety feet. The whole trip we were diving really deep. We were diving between, I would say like. I think the, the sh- most shallow spot that we went was about 60 feet, but most of the time we were diving 85 to 90. And so he did a dive. He shot uh, an amberjack at around, I think, I think at the bottom, like at 95 feet. And he brought it up and then another amberjack was following it up. And of course I go down and, I shoot that one and it just happened to be about like 15 pounds bigger than his. Oh. So he was Because <laughs> I did it twice. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. He was so upset, but you know. And uh, I saw that video. <laughs> I saw the video on your YouTube channel. Um, but it was pretty cool though. Because you can't, you can kind of tell what's going on. Mm-hmm. You see like the, you see the dolphins swimming. Yeah. And then you see him coming up mm-hmm. with the fish and it's like, did he shoot two fish <laughs> yeah. or is it another fish? And then you kind of see, you know, the camera moves down and you go down and then, um, and then you hear it like, Rah! like you're like super stoked. <laughs> no, that was my friend actually. Oh, he was yeah. super pissed. <laughs> no, he, well, he, was, he was really stoked the first time. But then the second time I did it, he was pissed because he wanted to shoot a bigger fish than me. <laughs> Ooh. Well, that's pretty cool nonetheless. But um, what's the – I mean, man, it would have been great if uh, if you guys would have got that in the in the books. But nonetheless, it's a yeah. record It's a record in our eyes. We support you. So <laughs> Thank you. Um, I got another one. It's fine. So I'm I'm a huge fan. You were talking about yellow jacks uh, earlier, and, and amber jacks and yellow jacks, and, and that mm-hmm. whole family. I'm a huge fan of yellow jacks. That's oh, like yeah. my, it's like my one of my right now one of my favorite fish to eat. Yeah, they're been, amazing. We've been making a lot of poke with it. Oh, mm, it's so good. So good. So good. But I just wanted to mention that because I think it was great. Um, <laughs> It's probably a lot of poke, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so in order to become a free diver, we've, we've talked so full transparency. We've had other free divers and spear, spear, spearos, spear fisherman, spear fisher woman. Actually, I think you're the spear, first lady that we've had on the show that spear fishes. So, um, all right. <laughs> I will say that everybody kind of like we we talk a little bit about training, but we don't talk a lot about training. But I mm-hmm. know that there's some training involved. Um, me, I'm a I'm like a shallow guy. Like I I don't I don't dive super deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but what kind of training did you do, and and where where did you go for training when when you were initially starting? So when I first started, I took a freediving course with Freedive 305. Uh, the instructor's name is Roy. And that's, that was my introduction to freediving. So I trained with him. And I think the first time I dove, I didn't do all that well. I think I made it to like 45 feet, something like that. But then 
I joined his other classes and just kind of kept training on the line and just gradually kept getting deeper and deeper. And then within a year, I made it to 100 feet, but that was just free diving, which free diving, it's a very different sport than, than spear fishing, you know, because free diving, you're, you just basically do like one drop and then you come right back up. Spear fishing, you're going down and you're hunting and you have a lot more equipment on and, you know, you just have a lot more going on than in, in free diving. But, um, but yeah, so I joined different classes um, doing line training, which is basically there's a float um, on the top of the ocean and there's a line going down with a weight at the bottom and there's different marks showing different um, depths. So you just basically train going up and down this line and seeing how deep you can go and how comfortable you are. And it's all about being comfortable. And so I did that and then just got in the water as often as I possibly could. And then eventually I was hunting at a hundred feet, a um, hundred feet plus. So hmm. that's pretty cool. But you, I, I, sorry, go ahead, Corey. That, that just seems <laughs> crazy to me. I I took a <laughs> scuba diving course and we went into the you know nice waters of Lake Erie in April and uh you know 14 sounds feet great. <laughs> yeah, that sounds lovely <laughs> was there was there still ice out Corey <laughs> Yes there was and uh well I, I don't think by by that time though but uh you know we went down 14 feet and you know, for scuba, you have to like mm -hmm. do the different maneuvers to get certified. You have to take the regulator out of your mouth and then put it back in your mouth. Yeah. The water was so, you know, like when you get cold, like you have a hard time. Well, you don't know. You live in Key West, but <laughs> when, you, when you get cold, <laughs> when you get cold, like you can't move your mouth as easily, you know? And, and like, oh, yeah, yeah. Take, take the regulator out of your mouth. And, you know, I'm so cold, I can't open my mouth wide enough to get the regulator back into <laughs> my mouth. So like, I, you know, I panic and, you know, I, I surface and I, that was at 14 feet. I, I can't imagine being a hundred feet down there. That just, I don't know. I guess I'm not a, I, I don't think I'd be a good spear fisherman. <laughs> well, you don't have to go a hundred feet to be a spear fisherman, but. You also don't have to dive in Lake Erie in April to be a spear fisherman either. That's true. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, the um, visibility was all of 18 inches in front of your face. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not ideal. That's it's not. Yeah, you wouldn't even go out to no. go jump in the water. Definitely not. I actually like super dangerous uh spearfishing with like low vis um you would need like a 12 inch gun <laughs> to be able yeah to <laughs> here i am <laughs> shooting next to my face <laughs> lauren when you were talking about training and, and the differences between spearfishing and free diving you, you had mentioned that there's um you have a lot more equipment with 
when you're when you're spear fishing what what kind of equipment do you do you have to use when you're spear fishing so when you're spear fishing you have you have a lot of the same gear as free diving but um you know obviously you have your gun with you a lot of people have their gopros so that creates more drag some people have a belt reel um you'll have to explain to me what that is oh, okay so basically when you're when you're spear fishing you can do it one of i would say four ways are, are the most popular i'm sure there are more but these are the most popular the first one is you're, you're spearing with a gun that has no reel. So you shoot a fish, you have a line, and if your line runs out, then, you know, that's it. Then you have a gun that has a reel on it. And you shoot a fish. If the shooting line runs out, then you can rely on your reel to put out extra line so that you can make it to the surface and then you can pull the, the fish up using the line. And then you have, um, there's also a breakaway system where you don't use a reel and you can shoot a fish and instead of the line being attached to your gun, it's attached to a float line that is attached to a buoy that's at the surface. And then you have a belt reel option also, which is probably the most dangerous and least recommended <laughs> out of all of them. So I'm not recommending this to anybody. Um, so you can use a, a belt reel that's, it's a reel attached to your, your weight belt. And when you shoot a fish, then you can attach that to your gun and, and use that as extra line. So, so Corey, for the reels, I don't know if you've seen them, but picture like, uh, I always think of like a fly fishing reel. And uh, Colin, you've seen both, so you might be able to, and I don't know, Lauren, if, if you experience fly fishing or, or all that. Um, but the, the reels, like fly fishing reels are a little more narrow, like spear fishing reels are a little a little wider. wider. But the, the backing um, on a, the backing on a fly fishing reel reminds me of like the thicker line on a, a spear fishing reel. Like it just, in my mind, they're, it could be synonymous. They're not, and they obviously function in different manners, but just to give you a visual of what, what comes to my mind. Yeah. And you don't actually like reel it like, mm -mm. like a traditional reel. You, you just pull the line and then later you'll, you'll reel it in once you have the fish, but which, what kind of gun do you use? I use, um, I use a raw ball in 130 with a reel. It has a reel rate and on I the also, gun. Yeah. And I also use a backup um, belt reel as well. Which a lot of people tell me not to do. But. I was going to say, which <laughs> I don't recommend. <laughs> It's just the it's just the way that I learned, and you know, I feel like it's a good backup. And I know a lot of people who have almost lost their guns, but thanks to having a belt reel, they, they didn't lose yeah. their equipment. So, so, 
So like to to picture the the rigging you would have is you would have your um your spear shaft comes out of the gun, shoots the fish, that end of the spear shaft is attached to a line. So if you don't have a line, it generally connects directly to a gun. It's one of the most common ways. If it doesn't connect to the gun, then it goes into the reel, like Lauren was saying. The reel, once the reel runs out, like you're holding on to the gun and the fish is taking the reel. Like if it's a big enough fish, like it's going to take your gun with it too, rip it out of your hand, whatever. So then uh, a lot of guns will have like a swivel or an attachment on the bottom of the handle to which you would attach the line to the belt reel. Mm -hmm. They would give you like extra go and it would give you extra depth to either the same thought of like when a fish uh, you're reeling in a fish in a lake and like you're fighting it back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. And eventually it runs out of steam. Uh, same concept in spearfishing. It's either going to run out of steam or it's going to, you know, die from whatever wound has been created. Mm-hmm. Or so, if a shark steals your fish, eventually exactly, it'll rip yeah. it off of the shaft. Yep. Or they'll take the whole thing, <laughs> the <Yeah>. whole thing. <laughs> Um, and a an a eighty dollar spear shaft is often cheaper than a three four five six hundred. Well, it is obviously cheaper than a six four five four six three whatever hundred dollar gun. <laughs> an Math. expensive gun. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so you're Cord, using, does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Well, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so, and are you using well, like, uh, uh, wetsuits and flippers? And you mentioned a weight belt. Do you use all that to get to get down to help you get down to the depths that you need to get down to? Yeah. So, I mean, so I mentioned that I use a reel on my gun, but also if I'm hunting larger fish, I'll use the the breakaway system with the float and the float line. So it's, it really depends on, on what you're hunting. Like you need different equipment for different situations and, and different, you know, spots that you're, where you're hunting. But yeah, I have my, I have my wetsuits, my, my fins, and I have it all. <laughs> I've think, accumulated quite a collection. <laughs> I think, uh, Corey, Steve Nella said it best. So there's like a, uh, and Lauren, I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Rinelli. He has a series on on Netflix. He's written some books and stuff, but he's he's a big icon in like the hunting and fishing community for like a lot of our listeners too. And he's a uh, he he kind of discovered spear fishing later in life. And he always says like, "Man, if I would have if I would have learned about spear fishing when I was younger, like I never would have moved to Montana. I never would have gone off the mountains. I'd be living next to a beach somewhere, like fishing all the time." But he's like, spear fishing is like it's it's one of those people if you like to buy a lot of gear and you like to tinker with gear and try new stuff and do this he's like spear fishing's the way to go he's like most your average spear fisher has like tons of gear just because they're always tweaking and messing and trying yeah. new stuff so it's true <laughs> it's so true I thought it was going to be less expensive than scuba but I'm just like accumulating so much gear because you try different things you know like and especially when you're starting out and you don't know what gear you like, mm-hmm. like 
even like with masks, I probably went through like six different brands of masks before I found one that I liked. That's kind of like hunting too, though. You just have to kind of trial and error. A lot of it. Yeah, for sure. About what works for you. Like, I mean, even with hunting rifles, I mean, you got to try, if you get a new one, you got to try a few different types of ammo just to see what works for your gun and what you like. So, right. In a lot of ways, it's very similar, not even just like the stalking and shooting part, but mm-hmm. acquiring the gear. And I think it's like, it's definitely falls under the same philosophy of like, you know, you're going out backcountry hunting or you're going fishing somewhere and it's like you have, if you have one fishing pole, you know, it's, it's destined to break. Fate is going to intervene and you're going to break it. And like, you know, in, in the, in the backcountry hunting world, it's like you want to pack two of some things sometimes that you really need to depend on because it's inevitable. Yeah. One thing is going to break. Same thing in spearfishing. Like you're going to snap a band, a line's going to break. Your <laughs> reel is going to pop off your belt as you're swimming up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, your friends are going to forget crap, so you need to have extra of everything mm-hmm. <laughs> just in case. It's true. Everyone makes fun of me and calls me the Mary Poppins of spearfishing because <laughs> if, they, if they need anything, I'm like, I got it. <laughs> Literally everything you need. I have two of them in my bag, maybe even more. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, let's see. So I do want to talk a little bit about, so we like to try to, to tie in some of our recipes and stuff we have on the website with those that, uh, whatever topic we're working on or topic we're working on topic we're discussing at the time. And, um, I do have a couple recipes. One, um, it's a, a homemade lobster stock and, uh, for these, the lobster don't bite. I, I checked that beforehand. So good. <laughs> um, but it's really cool because I see a lot of people toss out a lot of the lobster. And um, so like the the opening weekend of lobster season, uh, I went out and I guess it wasn't a weekend. It was midweek. But um, I went out and, and grabbed some lobster and then came back and, and I decided I was I was set in my ways to determine to make a, a nice little lobster stock uh, using the shells and, and the innards. And one thing I'll I'll mention is like everybody takes the the tails and all that. Uh, we have a, a cool little cleaning video on on the website of of the method that I use and I use a pair of shears and kind of like split the lobster down the middle and then you do a couple cuts and trim up a little bit and I I know it's one of those things there's no right or wrong way to do it it's just I see some the way some people do it I I think could be more proficient but I'm I'm not going to like name names or judge people <laughs> so and I'm not talking about anybody specific. So anybody who I've watched clean lobsters, don't get offended because I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about people in a hole. But um, the, the lobster that I had, so I like to take the um, the, the most important thing, though, is, is once you're, you're doing these lobster, and the reason I like to split them, so if you're going to make this the stock, is you can get to what's called the grain sack. And that's essentially like uh, it's the stomach sack of the lobster. It looks like a little kind of like black, mushy mess inside the – that's kind of behind the eyes, but 
before the the tail section and all that. So you want to get rid of that uh, because that will have a real bad off taste um, when you make your stock. There's actually some places that people eat it, but I mm, I don't know. Um, but in in the stock, I do. I use uh, the shells and insides minus the grain sack of five lobster. And then um, I do uh, celery, onion, carrots, garlic cloves, all that stuff, lemon juice, whatnot. And then you essentially like cook it for about an hour, let it simmer down and with some water. Of course, you need water. But uh, And then I strain it, just like a three-part straining method to get rid of all the the little bits. Your goal is to try to get the stock as clear as possible. And I like to use it. People often ask like, what do you use your lobster stock for? Obviously soups, stews, all those things. Um, if I'm making seafood, I'll use it in the rice and whatnot. So mm -hmm. I, I really like the flavor that it brings out. Um, yeah, it's delicious. Yep. And of course, if I'm making lobster, I always try to to incorporate lobster stock in like a sauce or, or something with it. So, yeah. so one, one recipe, uh, that I, I, one last one that I want to talk about, we've talked about a lot of food on this one, which is good. Cause this being a wild fishing game podcast, I feel like it's, it's really important that we stay true to our, our roots because one, I like to eat. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast like to eat. So, <laughs> It's like a common, it's a common ground amongst people. We, we toss around the word a lot, uh, venison diplomacy, which is like you introduce people to hunting through like, um, through trying wild game. Yeah. But I feel like the fishing side of things too is also equally, equally easy because it's, it's cool to be like, Hey, let's go out and catch some fish and then we're going to eat it. And it's oftentimes easier to catch fish than it is wild game. So, uh, sure. it's a, it's a good gateway, a gateway food. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this last recipe I want to run through. So I, I came up with, with this summer, I was, I was doing a lot of thinking about like kind of moving around and, and traveling, even though I wasn't, um, but we were spending time on the boat and stuff like that. And, um, I don't know about you guys, but like I said, I like to eat and I like to eat after being on the water. So we'd often, we'd get somebody who, who had, we knew had a grill on their boat. And what I would do is I would prep these out ahead of time. And then we would either, we would use, uh, like it went two ways. So obviously, you know, you're not supposed to cut up fish on the boat without saving it. You know, I understand that. So we're not doing that. We're taking fish or shrimp from home already in the packets that I'm going to describe here. Or we're getting back home with the fresh stuff and having uh, these packets already prepared. And when I say packets, essentially what I mean, I think a common word for them is probably like hobo dinners. Although I don't think we're supposed to use the word hobo anymore. So I won't say hobo. But uh, it's like the foil packs, essentially what it is. So um, one I one I did that's that's really good, and it works for shrimp, it works for fish, it works for whatever. So you use per foil pack, and 
use a half pound of fish or uncooked shrimp. You're using a half a zucchini that's chopped, uh, sweet potato, cherry tomatoes, garlic, and then we're going to throw some tactic calories, lemon prepper seasoning in there. And um, this is, it's a cool concept when you think about it because you can either take it with you on the boat if you know somebody's got like a galley or a, a, a grill or something on the boat because you can prep everything, wrap it in the tin foil, and then just stick it in the cooler. And then whenever you're ready to eat, you just turn on the grill or the oven or whatever's on the boat and you put that in the grill or on the oven. And you let it cook and then, you know, it cooks for like 15, 20 minutes and then it's done and then you eat it or you prepare it and you put it in your refrigerator and then when you go out and you spend all day on the water and you come back and you're like sunburnt and you're tired and you're dehydrated and you've probably been drinking beer when you're fishing and uh, cleaning fish and you're like, I don't feel like cooking but I also don't want to go to Burger King on my way home. So you know what? I remembered that I had some forethought and I prepared this lemon pepper seafood packet in my, it's in my refrigerator. So you go home and you turn on the oven and you put it in there and you set a timer and you set a timer so you don't burn the house down in case you fall asleep. And then boom, you have dinner right there. Super easy, super fresh, super quick, but it just requires a little bit of forethought and, um, it's really easy. Another one too, pretty much same stuff, uh, except for you add corn, you add potatoes, just regular potatoes instead of sweet potatoes. And then uh, you're using tactic calories, dirty South seasoning. So that's kind of like a, a Cajun seafood boil, like in a bag. And you do the same concept, but it's in the tin foil pack prepared for your ease. And uh, I think those are like one of my favorite recipes of the, of the summer that we, we came up with. Sounds delicious. Yeah, thank you. Um, Lauren, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, you can find me on my YouTube channel just by searching for my name, Lauren Sarasua. And I'm also on Instagram, same name. So and hard to pronounce, but easy to spell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will we'll, we'll link all these. All these, we, we talked about a couple of videos and things like that. And then your Instagram and YouTube, we'll, we'll link them in the show notes so that people can, uh, people can say, Hey, uh, Thank you. check out, check out those great videos. Also too, as everybody knows, we also link all the recipes. So the two recipes I just chatted about, and then hopefully the future Mahi ribs, when we give those a try, we'll do that as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right, so the, the last few minutes, we kind of give everybody a chance to go around the room and, and give a last comment or whatever. So since since you're our guest, Lauren, uh, I, the floor is yours. Uh, if you give us your, your last thoughts. Um, putting me on the spot here. <laughs> well, we can pass. We can go to Colin. Colin, <laughs> last thoughts. <laughs> uh, I don't really have any other questions. It's just it was good talking to you, Lauren. Um, definitely making me wish I was back in Florida Keys and get back into spear fishing and going down for lobster also. But uh, no, it was good talking to you. Hopefully we'll have you on again. You have to come visit. Yeah, definitely. And you guys have to take me hunting. I've never been land hunting, but I really want to get into it. I, I think we can make it happen. That would be awesome. Um, Corey, last thoughts. Yeah, 
we don't do a whole lot of uh, spear fishing here in northwestern Pennsylvania, so it was nice to get a glimpse into that world. <laughs> so thank you for uh, talking with us about it. And, and uh, yeah, if you ever find your your way up in into this neck of the woods, we'll I'll, I'll take you hunting. Awesome, thank you. All right, well, Lauren, now it's your turn. All right, well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was really such a pleasure. And I really appreciate, you know, all the questions. And I, I love talking about spearfishing. It's my passion. And so I could talk all day about it. So you chose a good person to come on to your show. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, it was great meeting you. We'll, we'll definitely have to, to link up and, and do some spearfishing and, and some some hunting uh, here in the near future. Yeah. And, um I just want to thank all the the listeners out there. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. And just as a quick reminder, we're doing that that twenty percent off discount code over in the uh, in the Harvest of Nature store. So podcast twenty will get you twenty percent off whatever your order is. And uh, go and head over to social media and Instagram, YouTube after you check out Lauren's channels and uh, profiles there. Make sure you click over on Harvesting Nature's page and ensure you're following us and whichever podcast platform you're listening to. Punch that five-star button and uh, give us a like. Tell us what we're doing wrong and tell us we're doing right. And uh, thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.